I'm going to ask you to turn to two places in your Bible. Ezekiel 47. You're like, oh my goodness, the pages are stuck together over there. Ezekiel 47 and John 7. Ezekiel 47 and John 7. I'm trying to desperately, the teacher in me is trying to get back to our lessons out of John. And then these thoughts like grab me and I try to like shake them off and go back into like syllabus pat. And then the Holy Spirit's like, you have no syllabus, dummy. So uh, (laughs) preach what I tell you to preach. So I hope that's what, so I'm going to do another one of these detours here. Uh, Ezekiel 47, I'm sure your pages might be stuck together over there by Ezekiel 47. Something like, Ezekiel, is that really a book? Yes, it's really a book. Uh, Ezekiel 47, uh, you might want to leave something there just because I'll be back and forth in that spot a little while. Ezekiel 47. And I know it's uh, maybe a tough weekend to preach this, but I figure I'm going to just give it a shot. Um, But uh, the thought was just in my mind. But um, obviously summer is upon us. I can get an amen on that, right? Uh, and with summer upon us, uh, it is uh, tis the season to be swimming. And uh, I wonder, I'm not asking for a show of hands on this one, no invitation here, but how many of you will be taking the plunge at some point this summer, you know, jumping into the water at some point to kind of freshen up or cool off or whatever it is you go in there for, get your laps in, right, your no-impact cardio. But, um, you know, the depth to which you will go in the water is very revealing. It reveals first how much you love the water, right? Some people are just a fish. They're just in the water all day. I know I was like that as a kid. It also shows off your maturity level. Depending on how deep you go, it shows how mature or strong you might be and how comfortable you are going out past the break and swimming in some deeper water. It also shows your willingness to go beyond your comfort zone, how willing you are to go deeper into the waters that you might be swimming in this summer. Now you say, why are you giving me that illustration? That's where I want to be. But uh, in Ezekiel 47, I want you to see that in the millennium, that thousand-year reign that Jesus Christ is bringing to earth, in the millennium, living waters come from beneath God's throne in Jerusalem and go out to heal the whole world, to heal the very creation itself that's been ravaged by our sin. Look at Ezekiel 47, verse 1. The Bible says, Afterward, right after all this stuff he's just talked about, he brought me again unto the door of the house, meaning the house of God, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward, and behold, there ran out waters on the right side. So Ezekiel's getting his vision of the future when these waters are going to come out from God's throne and actually start healing the very planet, healing the world itself. And I want you to notice in verses 3 to 5 that the prophet gets to experience some different depths to God's waters. See verse 3. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. That's the first stop. So right there, the first depth that he experiences are the waters were to the ankles. Right there, he's only getting his feet wet. 
And then he goes a little further, verse 4. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Now he takes another step a little bit deeper and the waters were to the knees. He's a little more committed now, right? He's a little deeper in those waters now. Then he goes on and says, And he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Now the waters are to the loins, right? They're up around his lower back. Now he's really feeling it, right? When you step that deep, it's like, woo! You know, you feel like the real temperature of the water. And the water even starts moving you a little bit, right? When you're that deep in the water, the current can start like moving you. You start feeling the tug and the temperature on your body a little more when you're that deep. And then verse 5. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. I want you to notice now, he's all the way in. The waters were risen. There's waters that he can't stand in anymore. It's waters that he's got to swim in. He has actually surrendered his control to the flow of that river. Now, jump to John chapter 7. I told you to find two places. Let's jump to John chapter 7. Let's look at the spiritual side of this in John 7. Again, flip with me if you can. Keep up. If not, you can just listen. John, we like to at least turn to the verses. John chapter 7, verse 38. The Bible says this. Jesus Christ is speaking, and he says, He that believeth on me, is that you say amen? amen. Woo, that was really bad. If that was you, say Amen. 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 Yeah, just that'll wake us all up. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. You know what he's saying there? I know literally these waters are going to flow out like that. I got it. But when you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, guess what? The Holy Spirit's healing streams start flowing in your life. I know they're coming to the millennium, but they start flowing in your life. My question to you is this. How deep are you willing to go? How many of you are taking the plunge into those waters? Now, we know how deep the Father's love is for us. How deep is your love for Him? And with this summer upon us, fairs, opportunities, so many things to do, so many things to be a part of. I wonder, are you willing to take the plunge into God's living waters? That's our thought for today, taking the plunge. And I'm going to challenge you today to see how deep you're willing to go for the lovely Lord Jesus. I'm preaching to myself too. Let's pray. Father, help us today, Lord. Help us to give heed. Help us to pay attention. Help us to understand. Help us to see what you want us to see. Challenge us, Lord. Whether we're watching at home or we're sitting here, Lord, I pray this word will go out with power. And Lord, your grace and your goodness would just cause some of us to just come a little deeper, go a little further. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go back to Ezekiel 47, and we're going to just, we're going to walk through the water. We're not going to walk on the water, but we're going to walk through the water, just like Ezekiel walked through those living waters. And if you look at Ezekiel 47.3 as our first stop. First stop, the first step, what I notice here is, Some believers, and you don't have to answer amen, but some believers are content to stop at their conversion. That's as deep as they want to go. See Ezekiel 47.3, the waters were to the ankles. And the first step into these living waters is to the ankles. You know what that is? That is a picture of salvation. 
right? Just getting your feet wet. That's a picture of salvation. You know why that's a picture of salvation? Because before salvation, before you knew Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you had no standing with God. You had no position. You had no status. You had no place. I remember about 11 years ago, I banged my knee up. I couldn't stand for several months. You know what? I had no strength to stand. And when you're an unsaved person, when you're lost and the weight of sin bears down upon you, you may not realize it or not, but as far as God is concerned, you have no strength to stand before a holy God. You have no standing with God. The Bible even says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 5, that the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, right? Because your feet are dirty and you can't approach a holy God. He, you're like Moses. God says, whoa, whoa, take off those shoes. The place without stand is this holy ground. And you and I can't stand in the presence of a holy God because of our sin. And before salvation, we had no standing. You know who we're like? You ever read in the Bible about this guy named Mephibosheth? Say it three times fast, Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth, he was this guy, he was dropped as a baby, and his legs got so banged up that he was lame on both his feet from birth. You know, Mephibosheth is like us. We were fallen from our birth. We were born fallen. We were born in sins and transgressions. We inherited this sin nature from Adam, and we were born fallen, and Mephibosheth was in so much trouble that David had to show him mercy, just like God had to show you mercy, because you were born fallen. You were born unable to stand before a holy, righteous God. Go to Matthew chapter 7. But it wasn't just that that got you in trouble. It wasn't just that you were fallen from birth. Go to Matthew chapter 7 if you want to flip with me a little bit. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse number 22. You weren't just fallen from birth, but you were going to fall, and you can't stand because of how you're building your life. You think that you could somehow make it on your own. You think that you don't need God. You think that somehow I could stand on my own two feet. Well, look what the Bible says. Look what your Savior says here in Matthew 7, 22. It says, many will say to me in that day when he comes back, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Man, that would sound like some pretty good stuff, right? Casting out demons, calling on God's name. God says, that's not what I wanted. I wanted you to trust my son, Jesus Christ. I wanted you to trust the shed blood that my son paid for on the cross. And then Jesus Christ continues, and he says in verse 24, therefore, because some people are building their lives on the wrong foundation, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The rock is Christ. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know what that is when you step into the water and get your feet wet? That's a picture of salvation because before salvation you had no standing. 
Not only because you have fallen from birth, but because you are going to fall because you are building your life on your ideas, on your religion, on your whatever denial that God is there. You're liking that God likes me because I did this. I wore polka dots. I, I smiled at an old lady. God will surely have mercy on me. God says, you've been building on sinking sand and judgment is coming and you can't stand. So God had to give you a standing. Go to uh, Romans chapter 4. Let's wade into the waters just a little bit here. Are you saved here today? Yeah. Amen. All right, well, at least you got your feet wet. Romans chapter 4. Let's keep going a little bit. Romans 4. Can I tell you that after salvation, you got a new standing with God? Yeah. Oh, come on, saints. You got a new position. You slid over from the lost column to the saved column. You slid over from the devil's family and got adopted into God's family. You got slid over from unforgiven to forgiven. You got slid over from somebody destined for hell to somebody promised heaven. Why? Because of God's grace. You got a new position. You went from sinner to son because of Jesus Christ. Have you slid over? To get that new position, that new status, that new relationship now. I know for 20 years I talked about God. I thought he was out there, but I didn't have any relationship with him. When I got saved, I got a new relationship with God. I went from being a stranger to being a member of the household. Right? That changed. I got a standing now. Now I can approach God. Do you know what the prodigal son got when he came out of that pig pen? And he returned to his father. Do you know what the father put on his feet? He put shoes on his feet. You know why? Because grace lets you stand again. Grace gives you a standing in the father's house that you didn't have before by the grace of God. You got it now. Romans chapter 4 verse 19 is talking about Abraham. Right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. And that's this little Sunday school song. But you know what? If you are a child of God by faith, you're a child of Abraham. So the Holy Spirit's saying, who can I find as an example of somebody that got saved just for believing a promise I gave him? And God says, oh, I got somebody. Let's use Abraham as an example. So he reaches back to the book of Genesis, and he says, you want to know what your salvation is like? It's like Abraham. Because Abraham was pretty old. His subscription to Babies R Us or whatever the place is now that people go to, I'm a little out of practice, right, was very expired. And he looked at Sarah changing her dentures and he was like, really? Like, she's going to have a baby? You know what he did? He believed God. And in Romans 4.19, it says, and being not weak in faith, he, meaning Abraham, considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. You know what Abraham did? Abraham looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb and said, you know what, God? If you could bring life from that dead thing, I'm going to trust you. And God said, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to impute, I'm going to count you righteous because you believe me, Abraham. And then God says, let me show you how this applies to you now. Verse number 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us 
also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. God says, hey folks, if you could look at yourself dead in trespasses and sins and you could look at that tomb where Jesus Christ went dead after dying on the cross and believe that God could raise Jesus Christ from the dead and have his saving grace raise your life from the dead, God says, I'll count you righteous. I'll give you my righteousness for believing what looks impossible to the flesh. And then he says in verse 1, have you believed that? Amen. Have you believed that? Have you believed that Jesus Christ rose again for you? Then he says in verse number 1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we, what's the next word? Stand. You see, now you can stand in the grace of God and you can approach a holy God because you got those shoes on your feet that are full of grace and God gave you salvation and now you have a standing with God, amen? And like Mephibosheth, even though you were born lame on both your feet, you got a seat at the king's table. You have access to God now because you have a standing with God. We sing it all the time, right? Born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came, took of the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me, oh, praise his dear Dave. That's when heaven came down and Jesus came down and filled your soul. Is that anybody here today? Anybody saved here today? It's okay to get excited. I'm going to get excited about a mortar going off later. You can get excited about, you know, the fact that your soul has been saved from hell, right? A standing with God. Wow. But you know what the sad thing is? If you go back to Ezekiel, I told you to leave something there. Sadly, I feel like a rocket ready to go off myself right now. Sadly, so many believers don't do anything beside getting their feet wet. That's where a lot of believers stop. They're like, whoop. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Is that you? You got your feet clean, you got your standing with God, and that's where you're content to stay. You know what you like? You like uh, you're glad your feet are cleansed of their filth, but you're telling God, I am not going any further than this. Glad you washed my feet. Glad I got a standing. Glad all that stuff that was contacting the earth is now covered and cleansed by your blood and your grace. But you know what, God? I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not moving another inch. I'm not going any deeper than salvation. I'm not going any further than conversion. You know what you like? You're like a child who sees everybody having a good time out there in the water, but you're too scared to swim. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know what's going to take me under. I'm going to look weird. People are going to look at me funny. I don't want to get out there. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm just going to stay here and watch everybody else in the waters of God just having a great time, blessed and strengthened and singing the songs of Zion and enjoying that time with the brethren. But I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay just toes deep, ankle deep. I don't want to go any further, God. And God's out there. He's saying, come on in. The water's fine. But you'd rather sweat in a dry, thirsty land. You're like, well, I like it here. You like it here? You do? You like sweating it out out there? You like just the, the, the pressure and the tension and the, un, the insecurity and the guilt and the shame 
and the, and the wondering why you, why you wake up in the morning and what's life all about. You, you like it out there in that dry and thirsty land when God's like, just come on in a little deeper. Just get a little bit of refreshing. Just jump in. It'll be so great. Come on in. The water's fine. No, 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 no. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm glad Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm glad he cleansed my feet and gave me a standing. But you won't go any deeper. What a shame. Is that you? I hope that's not you. Got such a warped view of God that you won't do anything but dip your toes in his water. Well, he saved my soul. I don't know if he could give me a spouse. He saved my soul. I don't know if he could help me with my problems. He died on the cross and went from hell and back for me. I don't know if he could help me with fill in the blank. That's where you are. You're like that child just watching everybody playing in the water and you're standing there ankle deep, just like sweating it out, just hoping the preacher will finish and just move on to the next point because I don't like this. I don't like being called out that I'm just going in ankle deep. God says, no, get all the way in. See in Ezekiel 47, you want to see the next stop? You want to see? Now, not everybody stays there. I'm glad some people go a little further. I think we got a room of people that are trying to go a little further. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I'm just shooting like a shotgun right now. If it hits you, it hits you. But verse 4 says, again, he measured a 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Now, I know a lot of believers stay just ankle deep, I know, and they just break their ankles, right? Like something trips them up, and it's like, oh, that person looked at me funny, and oh, that person said something about me, and just, you break your ankles, and you stay in the water right by the break, and you never get in to see how, how good it is out there. I know some people like that. I'm sure it's not you or anybody in here, but some other Christians somewhere, you know, just break their ankles right there to just stay there ankle deep. But some believers are content to make some commitment. That's a blessing. That's what the knees are, right? You see, the next step in verse 4 is, the next step is into the living waters is, is to the knees. You know what that is? That's a symbol of service. You know, because your knees, right, when you bow the knee, you're pledging your devotion to a cause. And, and you know, think about it when you go into the water, right, when you go to the beach in about five minutes, right? If you make it into the water up to your knees... Well, you're a little more committed now, right? It's like, okay, I think I might go a little further. I got in up to my knees. Look at me, Mom. Look at me, Dad. I'm up to my knees. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Can you go to Luke chapter 5? That's good. That's a good step. Luke chapter 5, that's the next step. Is anybody there? I hope. Anybody want to be there? I hope. Go to Luke chapter 5. Are you taking the plunge today? I'm going to show you how instructive this passage is here. God's got some living waters. Are you going to stay just with salvation? Or are you going to make some commitment here? Now, in Luke chapter 5, you're going to see that after your conversion, after God saves your soul, you know what the Lord is looking for? Where a lot of people stumble and, like I said, break their ankles. He's looking for some commitment out of you. He's looking for some consistency, some devotion, some level of stick, right? I mean, you don't have to go out on the mission field and die as a martyr, but he's looking for some commitment. And you see that in Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, that's a good move there, Peter. At thy word, I will let down the net. You know what happens? The Lord goes out there on the waters with you, and he's looking to see if you'll trust his word in your walk, 
It's easy to say amen in the church auditorium. It's easy to say amen at the fellowship. It's easy to say amen at the ladies' meeting or the men's meeting or maybe the prayer meeting. It's easy to say amen in the assembly. But when you're out there and you're living, because fishing was how Peter made his living, that's the way he walked and lived and spent his day, that's what Jesus Christ wants to see. Will you go a little deeper? Will you launch out a little deeper and trust what I say, even though you've toiled all night? Look at verse 6. Look what happens. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, watch it now, here he falls to his knees. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Can I tell you, when Peter saw the blessing of just obeying God, you know what he did? He bowed the knees. He fell down at Jesus' knees. He fell down at his feet. He took a knee, and he said, Lord, I have been a fool. I have been an idiot. You're not even worthy to be in my presence that I doubted you, Lord. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Anybody had that experience? Where you just, you trusted God, you saw how God worked it out, and it was miraculous, and you sit there and you want to fall down at his feet and go, man, Lord, I've been such a fool. Why didn't I just do it your way from the start? Why didn't I just commit to follow your way from the very beginning? And you know what bowing the knee meant right there? It was a symbol of his new service. It was a pledge of Peter's devotion. Lord, I'm going to follow you now. I'm just going to follow. You seem to know how to do this thing called life. You seem to know how the future holds best for me. And in verse number 10, it says, And so is also James. It seems like he took a knee too. And John, he took a knee, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That was a big step of Peter's commitment now. He's trying to do it on his own. He's toiling. And Jesus says, could you just go a little deeper for me? Just try my ways, would you? You know what happens? He sees the benefit and the blessing. And from that day forward, Peter is committed and Peter is following and Peter is serving. And like Peter, dear saints, you have a choice. All right? You can keep toiling with your own ways, or you could launch out on God's way. Choice is yours. You could keep on struggling with the job, keep on struggling with your own ideas, keep on struggling, taking advice from your friends and people on Facebook, or you could get into the Bible and see what God has to say and commit thy way unto the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to go a little deeper and try it your way and just step back and wait to be astonished. Choice is yours. Choice. It's a, and the rocket's red blare, right? It's just, it's your choice. Thank God for freedom, right? You've got a choice today. Contrary to what some people think, you have a free will. That is one of the greatest evidences of God, that he would give you a free will, that you have the choice to choose him or not choose him, to follow his ways or not follow his ways. He didn't raise a bunch of robots. He wants you to love him willingly, freely. Choice is yours if you'll commit a little bit to him. You say, how do I commit to him? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, How many of you wade into the water of God's words every day? You reading your Bible? Wow, I never thought of that. 
That's the first time you preach that, Pat. I've never heard somebody say you should read your Bible every day. That's, whoa, yeah, we say that all the time because you know why? You should read your Bible every day. That's how, you, that's how you commit. That's how you show a little commitment to God. That's how you start going a little bit deeper. How about another thing? How many of you call upon the Lord for anything after you're saved? You call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to wash you in his blood, and then you stand up and you try to do it in your own strength, in your own ways. Hey, are you praying every day? You're keeping some level of communication open. I'm not saying it's got to be a six-hour affair with fasting and butterfly sweat. I'm just talking to you waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, direct my steps. You're going to sleep at night and saying, Lord, thank you for keeping me this day. You find some moments. Bible says David prayed evening, morning, and at noon, at, at the night. Right? I mean, I'm saying you got to pray three times a day, two times a day. But how can you be having a relationship with anybody that you're not talking to? And you wonder why God feels so far away and so abstract. Because you're not talking to him. If you talk to him every day and commit to it, you might see something change. And how many of you, last committal and then I'm going to get myself committed. How many of you commit to the assembling of the saints like the Bible commands? Hey, it's very simple to launch out into the deep, to take those first steps. Read your Bible, pray, and come to church. And if you'll commit to those few simple things, you know what's going to happen? You will be astonished. Like Peter was astonished. All he said was, launch out into the deep, let down your nets. Okay, I'll obey. God says, read the Bible. God says, talk to me. God says, fellowship with the saints. You know what will happen if you would just commit to those simple things for the next six months to a year? I promise you, you'll be a different person in a year. You'll be astonished at what God does in you and through you without you even realizing it because you're just plugging into the power source, man. But so many people want to stay ankle deep. They don't want to go up to their knees. If you go up because you're scared, what's he going to take away from me? Am I going to be a whack job like Pat? Am I going to be weird like that, yelling at the pulpit like that? Am I going to be like one of those Jesus freaks? You know what? We could use a few more Jesus freaks in the world, right? All right? He wasn't ashamed to hang naked on the cross. I don't want to be ashamed of him. But, you know, I'll, I'll take that word off the table. You could do worse than be a fanatic for Jesus, okay? You could do a lot worse than that. That would be a pretty high aspiration to be drawn near or drawn closer. And you know why? You would see his hand in your life. You would see his hand in your relationships. You would see his, his hand in your mind and that peace that passeth all understanding. You just got to take a few little steps and commit to the man. But Christians got to forget about guys popping the question. Christians got a fear of commitment, man. Oh, I don't want to commit to anything, because then, then what? I'm not signing you up for anything. I'm just saying, would you read your Bible every day? Would you talk to God every day? Would you fellowship with the saints when it's time to fellowship with the saints? We don't have 30 meetings a week. We meet twice a week and a couple of times here and there, special things. You know, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? So we can count heads and pat ourselves on the back? I don't keep attendance. Nobody keeps attendance. It's because it's good for you. It'll help you bring in those things in your life that you want to see brought in. Like Peter was toiling and he couldn't catch anything. You want to catch something good? Do what God says. Commit to what God says a little bit. It'll shock you. You're sitting there going, how's it going to shock me? I don't know. Peter probably wasn't expecting to be astonished, but he was astonished. He was like, whoa, I didn't know it could be like this. I've been there. I've been there. I've been making, taking those big steps. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And I was astonished how a few months later, how differently I thought, 
how better I felt, how bolder I seemed to be. What was it? It was just committing. It was just taking a few steps and going in up to your knees, that place of devotion. You know how you grow physically? It's amazing. You give yourself a little food every day. You give yourself a little bit of sleep and a little bit of movement. You know what happens? You grow, grow, grow. How are you going to grow spiritually? You need a little bit of Bible. You need a little bit of praying. You need a little bit of fellowship. And you do a little bit of what God says to do. And you do it faithfully. And I'll tell you, man, that journey of a thousand miles just begins with a single step. Chinese proverb that has a lot of wisdom in it. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You say, where do I want to be in my life? All God is saying right here, right now, would you take a little bit of commitment? Would you launch out of the deep and go past your ankles and let the waters just get up to your knees and get a little more dedicated, a little more devoted, and then watch what I do in your life. Just watch it. Are you willing to commit? Anybody? Are you willing to commit? I'm not expecting amens there. I'm challenging you today. I want every pool you go into this week, every beach you jump into this week, I want those waters to preach at you. I want to see yourself go deep out there, past the break, past where the lifeguards are calling you in, and you're willing to swim out there, and God says, I got some living waters where there's no sharks, no riptide, and you won't enter in, and you won't launch out into my deep? Why? I've got so much for you that would astonish you, and you're just like, white knuckles on the seat in front of you. You look like you're constipated. Right? You're just like, I am not moving, God. I am right here. Just, I'm just going to have another maybe 30 minutes, and I will make it. I will beat you. Why? Why are you toiling? Why are you struggling? God says, come on in. The water's fine. I'll show you some amazing things. And so many believers struggle all their lives because they won't go any deeper. They won't go any deeper. They're toiling. All the night, they're just toiling like Peter toiled. I encourage you to go a little deeper. Go back to Ezekiel 47. Let me show you one more level here. Making sense so far? I'd ask you if it's bothering you so far, but I don't want to get an amen there. Uh, 47, 47. Now, some believers, they, they get in there knee deep, and they're like, wow, this is great. What else can you do, God? You know what happens? Some believers then are content to do some combat for the Lord. Some stop at conversion. I get it. Some make a little bit of commitment. And some people kind of dig the commitment so much, they want to do a little bit of combat for the Lord. They get into some spiritual warfare. Because look at the next step on your, on your, uh, on your water here. In Ezekiel 47, verse, uh, the beginning of the verse there, it says, uh, Ezekiel 47, 4, it says at the end of the verse, Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, uh, through the waters with to the loins. Now, the next step into these living waters is to the loins. You know what that is? Not salvation, not simple service. That's your source of strength, support, stability. The loins are that place, like by your lower back, right, on either side of your vertebrae there. We call that like our, our lumbar region, right? That's part of like your core, right? That, that part of your body that just stabilizes you, supports you, gives you strength. 1 Kings 12.10 suggests that the loins and that lower back is the thickest part of a man's body. 
And even uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, it says he had a leather, a leathern girdle about his loins. It's that area where you wear a belt, right? And if you've done any heavy lifting, you could tell I haven't. But if you've done any heavy lifting, you gird your loins, right? You wear that big weightlifting belt. Why? Because that's your source of strength and your source of stability. And you try to buttress it a little bit and just kind of really firm it up a little bit. And Nahum chapter 2 verse 1 says, keep the munition, watch the way, make thy loins strong, fortify thy power mightily. He says, you're supposed to be getting this part of your body strong. Don't they do that now all the time, right? You have a strong core, right? You need a strong core to support your whole body. That's like the, the mantra, right? You got to strengthen your core. Oh, my back hurts. Strengthen your core. Right? We're always trying to strengthen this part because this part really holds up the whole apparatus. And um, Proverbs 31 is talking about the virtuous woman, and you're supposed to be the virtuous woman, church. It says the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she girdeth her loins with strength. She's strengthening her loins. She's trying to get her core strong. She's trying to get her lower back strong. Why? Because she wants her source of strength and stability to be rock solid for her husband. You see, how do you do that? Well, 1 Peter 1.13, don't flip there, says... Gird up the loins of your mind. Amen. You know why you got to strengthen your mind? Because you are what you think. You are not what you eat. Because I'd be looking at probably a bunch of hot dogs right now if, I was, if you are what you think. But you know what you are? You are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think God hates you, you're going to walk around like God hates you. If you think God loves you, you're going to approach like God loves you. If you think you're no good and nobody have anything to do with you, guess what? You're going to walk around dragging your feet like you're no good and nobody wants anything to do with you. But if you realize there's a God in heaven that loves you with an everlasting love, that might lift your head up sometimes when your heart is hanging low. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And you got to renew your mind and reprogram your mind because like a computer that's been corrupted by a virus, sin has screwed up the way you think. And God says, you got to renew your mind with that book. You say, how do I gird up the loins in my mind? How do I do that? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll show you how you do it. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, there's this character, as you're turning to Ephesians 6, there's this character in the Bible named Joab. And Joab was a rough, tough soldier. He was not a guy to be trifled with. Right? And Joab was a rough, tough soldier. And the Bible says of Joab, very interesting little phrase, it says, he had a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins. You know what he could put there? He put a sword right about his loins. He had a sword there. That means that this loin area where you put a belt is where you can also stick your sword. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, watch it, Ephesians 6, 14 says... Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. You know you're supposed to stick in that part of your body? A sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You're supposed to carry that sword around yourself there. Why? So you can get strong, so you can get stable, so you can fight the good fight of faith. Right? you got to get that Word of God supporting you. The Bible says, Jesus said, thy word is truth. What is truth? Well, I don't think that's true. How do you know what's true or not? What's your infallible standard by which you measure everything? I've got an infallible reference point. What have you got? Your opinions? You've got the news? 
You've got what everybody says. You know, there were a lot of people in Germany around 1939 that all agreed on some things about the Jews, and they were all wrong, right? Just because the majority says something doesn't make anything right. You know what makes it right? Does it line up with the infallible preserved standard that God has left for you? The cornerstone, the rock on which to build your life. Well, I just think, I don't care if you think Pigs fly upside down while you're sleeping. Doesn't matter if you think watermelons are blue until you cut them open. Doesn't matter anything you think. What does God say? You say, Pat, that's awfully narrow-minded. You better believe it's narrow-minded. You open up your mind, it's like letting in a cesspool. Why don't you narrow it a little bit and let in some good stuff? You know, my house, I keep the doors locked at night. You know why? Because I'm very narrow-minded. I don't want anything wrong walking in that's going to take my children or hurt my children. So I'm pretty narrow-minded when it comes to any filth coming across my children's way. Guess what? I don't want any filth coming across my mind, my heart. Now, it happens because we swim in a cesspool, but I want to get very narrow-minded, and I want my mind to be girt about and supported by the rock, the rock. The Bible says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. See, truth is, it's in words. It's not like this big floating thing out there. I just love the truth, and the truth shall make you free. No, the truth is a book. Thy word is truth. This is the truth. He begat us with the word of truth, and we're supposed to be, as Christians, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? God, praise the Lord. I remember being a lost person just looking for the truth. Remember looking for the truth? I mean, hear Brother Eli's testimony, just years of searching for the truth. I remember searching for the truth. Remember when you found the truth and it just rang true and it checked out and you ran the references and it all made sense and the prophecies all came true and you said, wow. And the God just spoke to your heart and said, this is the word of God. Right? This is the truth. I just, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just a, a moment where you checked it all out and you said, wow, this is the truth. And God says, this book is supposed to be like that belt when you're going to lift that refrigerator. I want your loins of your mind to be girt about with truth. You know why? Because when that happens, that's how you start going deeper. Because if you're going to go any deeper, this book has got to be your strength. This book that you're holding in your lap has got to be what stabilizes you, what supports you, what gives you strength. Because when you're supported by the scriptures and that becomes your rock, you know what happens? You become a soldier. You become a soldier. You're ready for combat. You know those soldiers out there? They take orders from one command. They don't take orders from their friend next to them or what this guy says or that guy says. There's one chain of information that's funneling through and soldiers follow orders. And when you start getting to the place when you say that book is the truth and it's my only truth and I'm going to girt that about my mind and that's going to be my strength and you stop relying on this one and that one and that book becomes your final authority, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start getting some steel in your backbone. You're going to start becoming a soldier. You don't have to yell and spit and be angry or anything like a soldier might seem to be in a stereotype. It's just you start getting some strength like a soldier. And when you get into the water that high, you know when you get into water that, that high, right? When you just take that jump, it's like, woo! <laughs> First or second, it's like you really feel it. And you're in that deep that when a wave really pushes, you know what? You start moving a little bit. If you ever swam in a river or swam in a lake or really a river, uh, you start to feel those tugs. And when you start going that deep for God, you know what happens? That book starts moving you. You start feeling God's 
thoughts. You start understanding how God thinks. You start getting moved the way God wants to move you. You see Ephesians chapter 6? I'll show you. Ephesians 6, right there where we are, 6.14, he says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. When you get into God's words and you make it your final authority and just gird it about your mind, you know what happens? You're suddenly able to stand and fight the good fight of faith. You notice, please, that in this great list of the Christian in complete armor, the first thing he says is to gird yourself about with truth. Because if the truth is not your support system, nothing else can stand. You can't stand until this book becomes your rock. And then after that, look at all the stuff happens that after that. He says, then you can have on the breastplate of righteousness. You can guard your heart. Then he says, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You'll start going to places that God wants you to go, like a, like a fireworks display or maybe a family get-together with a soul on your mind. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know what? You won't get knocked over so easily anymore. Bing, boom, boom. The, the darts are going to hit your shield of faith because you're so supported by the book. It's not going to knock you over like it used to. You're able to stand, beloved. You're able to stand when the truth is just occupying your mind. And then take the helmet of salvation. Your brain starts changing. Your thinking starts changing. Your outlook starts changing. Your perspective starts changing. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you know what happens? You start going on the offensive a little bit. You start not just waiting for opportunities, you start making opportunities. You just start, stop, stop waiting for an open door. You start pushing on doors to see if they'll open. You don't keep giving up ground. You start taking some ground back for Jesus Christ. You know where that starts? When that book becomes your foundation. When your loins are girt about with truth and your mind is supported by the truth and you're not double-minded anymore. And you know what will happen? Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know what? You'll start becoming a prayer warrior like your Savior. You'll start saying, God, the Bible says be careful for nothing. I'm going to ask for this soul. I'm going to ask for this job. I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to ask for that. Lord, show yourself strong. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start praying, and you're going to start seeking, and you're going to start realizing, man, Lord, if you could do that for me, what else can you do? That's all because you're standing on the Word, because you're supported by the Word. Like Josh sang, right? I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy Word in those great old hymns. Is it your support? You know what will happen next? Here's the last part. 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When you start girding your loins about with truth, you know where you end? You end up opening your mouth to be the ambassador God has called you to be. But it's got to start with that book being your foundation, your, your firmness, your, your girdle, so to speak. But sadly, again, very few believers want to go this deep for God because they don't want any discomfort. I don't want any trouble. I don't want anybody to look at me weird. I don't want to, like, you know, go out of my way. I don't want to give up my me time. Like, I know, I understand. There's so many excuses. You've got to wash your hair. There's brunch with your third cousin. I, all this stuff comes up that just, you know, you just can't, you know, really go any deeper. I get it. It's a very, very busy life. You've got to wash your fourth car. I understand all these things that occupy you. And God's saying, many are called, but few are chosen. Few are chosen. 
You want to be among Jesus Christ's mighty men. You know when David, at the end of his life, you know what he did? He started listing his mighty men and all the things they did for him. Man, wouldn't you love to get to the church age and the son of David says, you are my mighty men, and you are my mighty men, and you did this for me, and you did that for me. Because God remembers. God doesn't let any of that stuff go to waste that you think is a waste. God says, man, you prayed, you read, you came, you tried, you, you did all the things I asked you to do. Man, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't think of something more that makes me want to salivate than to hear Jesus say, well done. You made a lot of mistakes, Pat, but well done. At least you tried. At least I tried, God. I made a lot of mistakes, but I tried to keep going. And I'm not saying I'm there, but do you want to be there? I want to be there. Let's get there. Let's go all the way into our loins. Let's let this Bible be our source of strength and answer the call. Because we're supposed to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. God didn't just save you to be a bump on the log. God saved you to be a soldier. He saved you to fight the good fight of faith. Are you going to answer the call? Are you going to answer the call? Or just, nope, I'm good right here. My ankles are nice and refreshed. I'm all right right here. Well, I'll go into my knees a little bit. I'll, I'll come to church and I'll, you know, I'll go through the motions a little bit. I'll, I'll read my Bible. I got my app. Thing pops up at 945. I'll read the verse of the day to keep the devil away. I'll do all that. But God's saying, are you willing to like, make me your strength and see me like go out there and maybe take a step for me and God will remember you? Isaac Watts writes those very convicting questions. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Anybody in that deep? Right around here. I hope, I hope, it's, hope you're feeling it. I hope it's moving you a little bit. I hope it's, the temperature is rising and that you're feeling that current start to tug you in a direction God wants you to go. Remember the story of Gideon's army? Gideon starts out with 32,000 people. Man, 32,000. We think we turn the world upside down with 32,000 people. That's like a Billy Graham crusade on crack. 32,000 people. That's like, wow, that's a lot of people, you know? And God said, whoever's scared, go home. 22,000 people go home. 22,000 people go home. That's a lot of people. They're all, I'm out, I'm out. They're left with 10,000 people. God says, go over to the water. And the ones that are still in the fight and they're just lapping, you put them in the battle. The ones that get down on their hands and knees like a bunch of dogs that just, just rub their face in there and just are concerned with satisfying their lusts, you can send them home too. 9,700 people go home. He's down to 300. And with that 300, God says, now I got my soldiers. And God said, with that 300, we'll go, we'll go take out the Midianites. Hey, I am the, I'm not looking for 32,000. I'm not looking for 10,000. I'm looking for a few good men and women, just a few that are not afraid and they're not too busy trying to satisfy their lust, that they're willing to put God first and go that deep into the water. God says, with that little brunch committed, you can go turn the world upside down. He's my, my son did it with 12 and one of them was a devil. What can you do with a few? And finally, so I'm challenging you on that last point. You a soldier or are you scared? You're a soldier, you're too busy satisfying your creature comforts. Or are you a soldier bound for glory? Amen? And lastly, go back to Ezekiel. There's a couple of stops left. Ezekiel 47. Here's the last jump. You ready? Hope you got your snorkel on. Got your uh, 
pool shoes, all that stuff. Ezekiel 47.5. Again, he measured a thousand and brought... I'm sorry, verse 5. Afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over for the waters were risen. Waters to swim in. A river that could not be passed over. You know what happens at the end? And this is not for everybody, so I'm just going to preach it. Some precious few believers are not content until they consecrate themselves for the Lord. Some are willing to go all the way in. See verse 5? Ultimately, Ezekiel goes so far out and the waters get so deep that he's at the mercy of the river now. All he can do is swim. You know what that picture is for me? Total submission. I'm all the way in, Lord. I'm not trying to stand on my own strength. I'm just at the mercy of your living waters and wherever they take me. And when the waters are this deep, you know what happens? You surrender your control to the flow of the river. As the river is flowing, you just got to go with the flow. (laughs) And the waters are so, now watch this now. When the waters are so deep that all you can do is swim, all anyone can see is your head. You know who your head is? Jesus Christ is your head. And when you go that deep, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church. I challenge you, Christians, are you so submitted and are you so under the Lord's control that all people see when they look at you is your Savior? They just see your head. They don't see Pat or Danny or Andrew or Mary or anybody else in here. You know what they see? They see, wow, that Jesus of yours is somebody special. That Jesus of yours is somebody to be trusted. That Jesus of yours is is something else, isn't he? Yeah, he's something else. Because when you jump all the way in, people are just going to see your head. They're just going to see Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Are you willing to trust your soul to the Savior's control? You think he'd hurt you? You're going to let him lead? You think he'd lead you astray? Some of you do because you've been hurt by people. God is not a man that he should lie. God won't hurt you. People have hurt you, I know. People have hurt you. People will hurt you. God won't hurt you. God will always lead you in the right way because God, among anybody else, wants the very best for you. So are you going to let him lead you? You say, Lord, I'm willing to jump into the deep end of the pool and see where you take me. I don't know. I can't make anybody do that, but I can ask you. I could challenge you. Are you willing to be like the dust? You know what the Bible says? He remembers our frame. We're just dust. You know what dust is? Dust gets moved wherever the wind listeth. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And would you be like the dust? Just, Lord, move me where your spirit wants to move me. Lead me where your spirit wants to lead me. Would you be willing to pray like your Savior? Not my will, but thine be done. I know that's deep water. I know that's not the kiddie pool. But that should be the normal Christian life, to trust the Lord like that. You know what that is? That's an old word that some of, our, some of us that like that old-fashioned stuff would know. Consecration. Right? Consecration is a rarely talked about word anymore in Christian churches because it doesn't sound like relevance or fun. But consecration is about setting yourself apart for God. It's about being devoted. It's about being dedicated. It's about swimming in the deep end. Consecration. Perhaps you, know, you probably know the name of Eric Little, right? Heard the name Eric Little, missionary to China. 
probably know that name, Eric Liddell, especially if you've seen and remember the movie Chariots of Fire. This 1981 film tells the story of a Scottish Olympian who in the 1924 Paris Olympics refused to run his main race because the qualifying round was being run on a Sunday. Wow. He wouldn't miss an Olympic qualifier because he had to go to church. That legalist. Eric Little was the son of Scottish missionary parents and had been born in China when they served there. Eric was strong in his faith. And as the film details, he competed in a race that he was not fully prepared for. Yet the Lord honored his commitment. And Eric Little not only won the 400-meter race, winning gold for Scotland, he set a world record in that event. And the most famous line from the film is Eric telling his sister Jenny, quote, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What a beautiful line that can be applied in many ways in our lives. Because when you're doing what God made you to do, that's when you really feel his smile upon your life. And for most of us, that's all the story of Eric Little let me know. But there is more. In fact, the line that was uttered in the movie about God making Eric fast was in context about him eventually going back to China as a missionary when he finished running. And he did just that. And while in China, the country became occupied by the Japanese. It was World War II. And Eric and many others were rounded up and placed in a squalid prison camp. Many stories have emerged in later years of Eric Little organizing and refereeing sports for the many kids in the camp. At some point, Eric developed a brain tumor. And it was in that filthy prison camp hospital that Eric Little died. Some would call this a great waste. Those children and many others in the camp didn't feel that way. One survivor said of life in those conditions, quote, without the faithful and cheerful support of Eric Little, many people would never have been able to manage. That survivor went on to say, none of us will ever forget this man who was totally committed to putting God first. A man whose humble life combined muscular Christianity, he's a gold medal athlete, with radiant godliness. And on February 21st, 1945, Eric lay in a hospital bed, struggling to breathe, drifting in and out of consciousness. Suddenly his body erupted into a violent convulsions, shocked the nurse tending to his care, scooped him up into her arms to calm his trembling body. Then, in those fleeting seconds, before he slipped into a coma, she heard him speak these final words in a barely audible voice, no doubt reflecting on the span of his life's choices. He said, It's complete surrender. It's complete surrender. And brethren, if you're going to go that deep, it's got to be complete surrender. Not my will, but thine be done. I know it scares a lot of you, but don't be scared. The water's fine, but it's got to be complete surrender because no man can serve two masters. Go to Philippians 3. We just got two stops left. Look at Philippians 3. Let me show you another person who's got a similar testimony. This is the Apostle Paul. Finest Christian I'll read about, Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul was a great man as well. He was a champion of his religion. 
He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he could testify and say, Philippians 3.7, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. O brethren, am I willing, are you willing to wave the white flag and submit to Jesus Christ's will for your life? Lord, not my will, thine be done. I'm tired of fighting you, tired of kicking against the pricks, I want to go a little deeper. I want to go a little further. I want to see what you can do in my life and do through me. If there's anybody like that at all, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand, but this is between you and God. Paul could say it. Paul's supposed to be our pattern. Could you say, Lord, what was great for me and helped me out, I I want to give it to you. Only when your all is on the altar can you count your loss, his gain, and find joy. Because this, to me, to most of you, this sounds like, this is some scary stuff. This is like some really deep stuff. I don't know if I can handle this stuff. That's only because you think so little of his sacrifice. But when you start to think so much of his sacrifice, you start realizing, what what else can I give you, Lord? What else can I give you? What else can I give you? If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be that I can make can be too great for him. I think C.T. Studd said that. And only a precious few will ever love the Lord enough to go this deep for God. I'm aware of that. I'm not hating on you. I'm just aware of the reality of it. I'm preaching on myself too. Can we finish in Luke 7? Luke 7. How deep will you go? Are you willing to take the plunge? Are you taking the plunge? Luke 7, 36. Only sinners who've been forgiven much can see the depth of God's love for us and want to give God much. See Luke 7, 36? And one of the Pharisees desired him, meaning Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, And did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. Anybody sinners here? Any sinners here today? (laughs) 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. The hair was a woman's glory. She sacrificed her glory for the Savior's feet. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins 
which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You see, some of you think you're really good folks. And you think you just maybe changed your census box. Like, now I'm going to click Christian. I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I needed Jesus to save me. Sure, I'm a pretty good person, though. And you still think you're a pretty good person. You think, yeah, he forgave my sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I forgave my sins. You know when you think very little of the cross and very little of your sin, you'll think so much of the sacrifice you have to make for him. But when you start to see how big your sin was and how great his sacrifice was, you'll think very little of what he asks of you. The question is, what do you think of yourself? What do you think of your sin? What do you think of your Savior? This woman was a sinner. Hey, we're all sinners. We all were like that woman. How come so few of us are willing to give Jesus our very best and wipe his feet with our tears and anoint him with our ointment and break that alabaster box? The answer is very simple. We think we've been forgiven little. We think, yeah, I was lost, and I just needed to change my denotation on my Jesus census to save. But you know what? You were on your way to hell, and the very best you could do, God says, were filthy rags. All your righteousnesses were filthy rags. You were nothing without God. You were without hope, without Christ. And if Jesus Christ drew his hand away, you would have been like a fire over the spider. And if that flame licked the thread, you would have fallen and perished in a devil's hell. And when you see the gravity and the weight of your sin, that there was this great dam of waters that were about to take you down, and Jesus Christ stepped in the midst and rescued your wicked soul, soul from a devil's hell, you might say, Lord, what can I give to you without having it wrestled out of your fingers? But I wonder, are you willing to say, and are you willing to pray, Lord, here's my life? I don't know what that means. I don't. I just know that you can give it to the one that won't mess anything up. Lord, here's my life. Doesn't mean you're going on the mission field. Doesn't mean you're going into the pastorate. Just means, Lord, direct me. I want to yield to the Savior's control. I knew exactly how I wanted my own life to go. No heartaches, no failures, no disappointments to unfold. But God had a different plan for what life would bring my way. And although I may not understand, I can trust the Lord and say... Here's my life, I surrender all my plans and all my dreams that I thought were best for me. Use my life for your glory, take the pen from my hand and write out your story. And although I may never fully understand. I want to be willing to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Summer's here. Are you taking the plunge into all God has for you? You're going to remain a spiritual baby by the shore who only gets his feet wet. Will you commit to the Bible? 
to prayer, to coming to church, so you see more of God's blessings in his life, what he could harvest and reap when you let down your net for a draw? Have you made God's truth the source of your strength so you could be a good soldier? Are you willing to give God your all out of love for all your Savior has given you? The depth to which you will go in God's water is very revealing about your love for the water, about your maturity in Christ, and about your willingness to go beyond your comfort zone for Jesus Christ. The healing streams will flow in the future. In the millennium, the planet will be restored. But they can flow now if you'll take the plunge. If you'll take the plunge. Let's stand for prayer.